Where I grew up, it was incredibly unusual and uncool to use a computer. You'd rather have people who were writing poetry, smoking cigarettes at a bar or at a cafe than people, you know, nerding out on computers. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. A lot about team build out, product market fit. Hey, do we exactly have this feature set right? Is is this what's resonating with customers? You know, they're going to continue seeing growth if they've hit product market fit for a big enough audience. That's really when you when you start to have product market fit. But that's not for many years. I need to actually show that tinker product early product market fit. And that engine is often people and process and making a product a company. So a hundred times somebody has said product market fit. What's product market fit? Yes. So um, I think product market fit is a myth. S.C. Mowadi of Mighty Capital. Silicon Valley invented this term product market fit, which basically they intend to say, when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting something from scratch, you have to find a bunch of people, hopefully customers, i.e. people who are paying you as opposed to users, who are going to value your product enough that they're going to want to pay for it. The reason I say it's a myth is the minute you find product market fit, you actually lose it. What happens is you find, say, a dozen customers who like what you do. They pay you a little bit for it. Number 13 will ask you to tweak something that will upset number one. <laughs> You're going to lose product market fit only to find it again. So the myth is there's this line in the sand before product market fit versus after product market fit. Before you're looking for it, after you're in like hyper growth or blitz scaling or growth hacking, whatever the, the term of the moment is. So tell me, SC, what is that? My full name is Sophie Charlotte, which is why I go by SC. There's a story to this. I, um, I, wrote a, I was invited to write a book a few years ago on what makes a great product. And um, as I was writing my book, my, my publisher asked me, like, I see what, um, actually not Essie, but hey, what do you think your author's name is going to be? And I said, I'm thinking of Essie. They cut me off right here and said, <laughs> what a great idea, because <laughs> they didn't want me to go to market with my full name. Which Sophie is Charlotte so is a beautiful name, though. Thank you. But it's so hard to pronounce. Okay, and so it's, it has nothing to do with with uh, femininity or masculinity or or hiding anything. It's just SC, like some people are AJ or PJ. Exactly. SC is founder at Mighty Capital and founder at Products That Count. 
Andrew Chen at Andreessen Horowitz calls SC a genius at making products people love, which is how we got started on product market fit. Well, I, I like what he says. <laughs> uh, and Give me I'm an example of a product people love that you were involved in. That's right. I was very early at um, you know I was early at Facebook. Obviously, that's a, a product people love and love to hate. Hmm. Uh, I was also very early at uh, Nokia. Uh, at Electronic Arts, in mobile games. I was there before the launch of the iPhone. And so really had my hands at, you know, building communities before it was a thing, building mobile games before really the phones were able to support it. Uh, some of the products I built in, for instance, augmented and mixed reality were in the top 1% of the App Store um, in the in the early days. You were at EA uh, before the iPhone was invented, and then you're at Nokia, kind of an offshoot of Nokia, but you're at Nokia as the iPhone is, is the very first iPhone is coming out. And I will remind our, our listeners that the very first iPhone was only okay. Uh, that Apple had to actually drop the price of the iPhone when people weren't so sure about it. But you're at Nokia as the iPhone is starting to gain some traction. What was the reaction at Nokia? And what was your reaction? Because you understand good product. And there has, I mean, there's just never been a product like the iPhone. And there you are at the competitor seeing people start to use it. What's going through your head? Right. So the launch of the iPhone from Nokia's perspective, you have to see it from where Nokia was at the time, um, 40% market share globally, absolutely a dominant player, better technology by far than the iPhone, and a very engineering-driven company. And so inside Nokia, the reaction is, this product will never work. You have to, for example, like you, you'll see the engineering mindset, you have to use your fingers to operate it so when it's cold and you wear gloves, you cannot use iPhone, it's never going to work. Um, now, from where I was, which is the innovation labs of Nokia, so right in the middle of Silicon Valley, we obviously see the tidal wave that the iPhone is creating in Silicon Valley only. And we report that back to HQ. Now, our HQ knew that the next generation of mobile mobility was going to be software. They were huge software initiatives inside Nokia, part of what we were a part of. But definitely underestimating the power of the iPhone, the power of the App Store in particular. So the, the uh, Nokia version of the App Store, which was called the OV Store, was a sort of a pale imitation of, of the iPhone. Um, you know, I, I'm very happy to say I was part of the team that, built that app store and and made a lot of headway on Nokia devices to to try and fight iPhone. But by then, there were just too much of a cultural clash between a software culture of immediacy and a hardware culture that's looking two, three years out, right? When you plan a device, you have to think about like supply chain and future of like uh, chips and, and bill of materials. And that culture thinks too slow to compete effectively with a software culture. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As we look ahead to developments, you are a big fan of the blockchain. Um... One of the marketing problems I think the blockchain has is people confuse it with silly things like Dogecoin uh, or the volatility of Bitcoin. The blockchain run, those things run on a blockchain, but those aren't the blockchain. Can you sell me on the future of the blockchain as a consumer or as someone who doesn't know that much about it? Yes, absolutely. So, you're, you're correct. I was very early in blockchain. I wrote my first article on the topic in 2014. Um, the way I think about blockchain is looking at data lakes. So 15 years ago, nobody believed in mobile. Like even I remember conversations where people thought it was going to be very awkward to hold a phone up to take a photo as opposed to holding it close to your eyes like a, like a camera, right? Uh, which is what we do every day now with our selfies. So behaviors change. They take some time. Now, if you think of mobile today as being mainstream, mobile captures all of the data that is related to us as individuals, but that's outside of us. So our identity, like health location, data, our, yeah. our context, like location and so on. Now, there's a, a second wave, which is happening right now in genomics, which captures all the data inside of us, uh, heart rate, like genome, and so on and so forth. That's also creating a tidal wave of innovation. Blockchain is the next wave of innovation. It captures all the data that connects you and I for business perspective, like smart contract, for personal like interaction, like exchange of you know money and and uh, goods and services, but also for exchange of IP, like this whole idea of NFT. People will say, "Oh, it's a fad." I don't think it's a fad. I think it's a way for creators to reclaim ownership of their creativity and find a way to monetize it. So, blockchain is really the data lake that captures all of that information of interactions between people. You grew up in Paris, and my understanding is you had an early access to a computer, I mean, compared to most families, right? Definitely. So my dad bought us a computer that was like one of the very first ever computer. I got to love it. I became an electrical engineer. 
um, which you know was a, an oddity in my family, uh, an oddity, of course, as a as a woman, and uh, and even an oddity in in France at the time. Yeah, the the tell me about the what era are we talking about? I um, how old would you have been when the compute when you got your first computer? Uh, probably like. 10, 12 years old. Okay, so what was the the computer or the tech culture in Paris at that age? So, you know, where I grew up, um, it was incredibly unusual and uncool to use a computer. You'd rather have people who were writing poetry, smoking cigarettes at a <laughs> bar or at a cafe than people, you know, nerding out on computers. And, and then later on, I found some group of people who were, you know, playing video games, playing some Dungeons and Dragons, all the geeky stuff that most engineers do. Um, but, you know, it was still like really early in that, in, that, um, in that world. You told someone after you became an engineer, you discovered you weren't a very good one. That's correct. Um, <laughs> how do, and, you, and how I, do you determine that you are not a good engineer? Well, you know, once you're in engineering school and you are with folks who are really amazing engineers, you immediately realize that, you know, they're producing like 10x um, what, what you are able to produce. I had much more of a business mind. I also have always thought of technology as something that was in the background enabling and facilitating human-to-human interactions. Most of the best engineers I know have amazing human-to-computer interactions, and then sometimes they have human-to-human interactions. What brought you to Silicon Valley? So uh, after immediately after I graduated from engineering school, I got accepted into Stanford Business School. Perfect. And uh, that was sort and of the And your impression of Silicon Valley was? Okay, so my impression of Silicon Valley the first time I went was this is planet Mars. This is so different from what I grew up with. That's I'm setting foot here once and that's and that's it. And then on my flight back, I remember thinking, actually, that's why I want to come live here. It was the biggest stretch I could find from my, you know, upbringings in France. And then lastly, what do Americans get right about France and what do they get wrong about France? Well, so what they get right about France, I think, is this idea that, uh, you know, French people often think of themselves as um, having very high expectations of themselves, being very sophisticated, the quality of life. I think all of that are, I would say, quote unquote, good stereotypes. Um, I can see why often French people unfortunately, are perceived as being snooty or prickly. Uh, I now, when I go back to France, can even, you know, notice that. Uh, but I do think it's a misconception. You are um, a lecturer at Stanford GSB and at Columbia. What one message do you hope your students walk away with if they, know, if they learn nothing else? So I teach three courses. I teach a course on product. My key takeaway is it's easier than you think uh, when I teach product, i.e. it's not about technology and bits and, you know, zeros and ones. It's about making us better people. The second course I teach is early stage investing. And there 
my key takeaway is it's much harder than you think. <laughs> People have this idea that if they take a course or if they attend some angel groups once a quarter or so, they're going to become great investors. Well, just replace the word investor with the word, say, doctor, right? You take a course, you <laughs> attend a dinner once a quarter, you become a great surgeon. That just doesn't make any sense, right? It's the same with investor. And then the third course I teach is on governance. And the key lesson here that I hope people take from that is being a great board member is a massive asset to any company. SE Moati at Mighty Capital and products that count. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.